Blog Talk Radio. Glam more, fear less. Diva Talk Radio. because I'm so excited to welcome you to December's Diabetes Roundtable podcast. This season, I don't have one diva to celebrate. I have not two. I have three divas helping me celebrate the holidays with you tonight. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and I'd like to help empower you to manage your diabetes with confidence, knowledge, and inspiration through the entire holiday season. Tonight, we're celebrating families affected by diabetes with music from the iconic Pointer Sisters. My guests include the Charlie's Angels of Outreach, music journalist Christian John Wilkane, poet Lorraine Brooks, hat designer Yvette Petty, Laura Laria, and Lindsay from Baton Rouge. Now, the Pointer Sisters secured a place in pop music history, as well as my uh, iPod, <laughs> as one of the most dynamic female groups of all time. With, the music, with a musical legacy that includes such diverse genres, including pop, disco, jazz, electronica, bebop, blues, soul, and funk, and, are you ready, country. Their hit country song, Fairy Tale, won a Grammy Award for Best Country Performance for a Duo or Group with Vocals in 1975. I chose to salute the Pointer Sisters tonight because I want to celebra- celebrate families. The holidays for me is all about families and spending time with not only my parents, but my brothers, my nieces, my sister-in-law, and some of my extended family. Some families make beautiful music together like the Pointer Sisters, while others may feel the biggest source of, of holiday stress is their family, the family dinner, the obligations, and the bur- burden of family traditions. Holiday gatherings with families are supposed to be joyful and stress-free. But if you're living with diabetes, it could be a different story. And we always hear from people who are newly diagnosed who say that sometimes their family um, can really be completely the opposite of being someone they could turn to and feel that they could lean on. And instead, they feel like a lot of their family members might be in denial or they might um, just be hoping that their diabetes will go away and everything will be okay. Other times they overreact and they become the diabetes police, which makes the holidays a little bit difficult for people living with diabetes. And tonight, you know, we want to take you from stress-free to feeling a little bit more joyful. And we're going to be talking to my educators, Neva White, Patricia Addy Gentle, and Kathy Gold, about some ways that you can involve your family and invite them into your care, as well as invite them into your home this holiday season. 
the thing about working with your families is if you could get behind them to rally around you, the one thing I've learned through all the years of doing diabetes outreach is it really does re- require a village or an entourage, as we like to say, at Divabetic. Not only do you need to involve your healthcare professionals, but you also need to involve your friends and family to keep you motivated and encourage you every step of the way. And there's always an unexpected blood sugar around the corner, so it's great to have some friends that you can confide in, as well as professionals that believe in you to help inspire you and keep your spirits up all year long. Now, before we get things started and play more of the Pointer Sisters, I'd like to encourage everyone to show your support for our dazzling brand of outreach by donating today to divabetic.org. Your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. Sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh a little, learn a lot with Diabetes Roundtable. It's time for the Divabetic Mailbag. Okay, let's see what we got in the mail today. My first letter is from, Georgia, is from Georgia from Salt Lake City. Mr. David, Mr. Divabetic, how can I listen to past Divabetic podcasts? Oh, that's an easy answer. Uh, you could go. They're all for free, by the way, all our podcasts. There's actually like four years of them now. Um, I think two of the best ways are to go to iTunes. You would have to register on iTunes, but they're all for free. Once you register, you just put in Divabetic or Diva Talk Radio into the search, and all the past shows will come up. And they all basically tell you if it's a Diabetes Roundtable show and who it's inspired by. It could be by Rihanna, Sally Fields, or several of the uh, divas we talked about this year. Or you could check out my Mr. Divabetic shows where I interviewed a lot of best-selling authors, including Robin Carr, Kristen Higgins, and uh, Kim Boykin, and also we played some food games with Serve, Taste, or Trash. So they're all labeled in the iTunes library. You could also go to divabag.org. That's our website. And if you click into uh, on the landing page, you'll see the Diva Talk radio icon. And if you click on that page, then you'll see the player. We've actually embedded the player on our um, Website. If you click on the, there's a little play button, and you could get the shows right there. Or you could visit uh, Blog Talk Radio, which is a network we use to do this show, and you could search Diva Talk Radio, and you'll find our past episodes. So if you have any problems, you could always contact me at mrdivabetic at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Uh, send me a message. Sometimes that's faster. All right, our second question, our second letter, excuse me, um, is from Zachary from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Wow. Uh, what, who's your favorite guest this year, Mr. Diva Better? Ooh, okay. I wasn't ready for that. Uh, who would be my favorite guest this year? Let's see. You know, um, can I name someone from this show? Because if I could, I would say Patricia Addy Gentle. She's uh, the first educator I ever worked with who uh, embraced Divabetic without knowing me personally. And we met back in Atlanta in 2006. She worked on the Divabetic Makeover uh, Your Diabetes Tour with me. And... Uh, Patricia has been working with me ever since, and she joined the podcast and has been here all year long. And so it's kind of an honor that it's going to be 2014, and I've, I've been able to work with Patricia all these years, and I, I just think she's so insightful and so informative and so much fun. So I will say that Patricia Addy Gentle is my favorite guest. And guess what, everybody? If you want to know more about her, you're going to meet her a little bit later. So let's give her a round of applause. All right, now I would like to welcome my first guest to the show. She's actually celebrating a year with uh, working with me. I don't know how she's doing it. Uh, she's been on every, she, she came on as a guest last year 
uh, in December, and she, I thought she was so insightful, so inspiring. I wanted her back. She's my favorite poet. She's also a TV host and a jewelry designer. Please welcome Lorraine Brooks. Hi, Max. How are you? I'm fabulous tonight, Lorraine. Good. Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays, and thank you for being a part of my Nine Most Fascinating People podcast last week. You were sensational, as always. Thank you for for asking me to do that. That was wonderful. It was a wonderful gift, and uh, I had a wonderful time, as always. I'm looking forward to another year with you. I would love that, because I I think your poems have been a wonderful gift uh, to not only myself, but to all our listeners. And I know people really appreciate them. We always take your poems and post them back on divabetic.org as well as the blog for people to revisit. And they could also, like I said earlier, to Georgia from Salt Lake City, she could go on to our iTunes library and listen to you read some of your poems, <laughs> which I love. That would be wonderful. Thank you. All right. Well, you know, it's the holiday season, and I'm all about my favorite things. This is where I kind of steal a, um, a card from Oprah and love to talk about things that I think could help anyone stay happy and healthy. What's one of your favorite things that you want to tell people about tonight? Well, actually, I, I stumbled upon uh, an app from my iPhone that has now become one of my favorite things. It's called My Sugar, M-Y-S-U-G-R. And it's, uh, there's a free version of the app, and there's also um, a pro version, which I think is um, 19.99 a year or something. But it's wonderful because it, it allows you to log all of your meals. You can uh, put in what you're eating, how many carbs, and what, whatever it is you're eating. You can also take a picture of your meal so you can remember what you had or what it looked like. You can circulate the picture and share it with other people. You can analyze your last 24 hours or your last week or your last month and see how your blood sugars are doing on the average and, you know, whether you want to um, uh, modify your medication in any way. You can enter how much medication you've taken. You can print out reports. It's just a wonderful thing, and I've had it for about two months, and it really has um, helped me keep on track, so I would highly suggest it. The the free version is wonderful, but there's also a pro version that allows you to uh, communicate with other people and share things on Facebook and, and other social media, and it's just, it's just been a wonderful thing for me. So I Can would, I ask uh, you, is it user-friendly? Because I know a lot of people are squeamish about Extremely, you know doing apps because it's a little... Extremely. Everything is right in front of you on the screen. You just, uh, well, I have an iPhone, so you just have to touch the screen and uh, everything pops up and it's all right in front of you. You don't have to look around for any information and it's very easy to enter. You, you get your keyboard and you can just enter your blood glucose levels and it tells you if you're hyper or hypo and you can add a correction. It, it's just a wonderful thing. I, I really highly recommend it to anybody with diabetes who has a smartphone. I love it. Thank you for sharing that favorite thing. Now, you know, tonight we're celebrating three delicious divas, but we've been celebrating divas all year long, Lorraine, and thanks to you, we've been actually paying tribute to them a lot of times through poems. Which, what was your favorite diva of the year? You know, I have to, I have to honestly say I think it was Sally Field, only because I, I, I relate to her age-wise, and, you know, she's just she was so much a part of me growing up, and I've probably seen, um, I don't know if I've seen all of her movies, but certainly almost all of her movies, and I think she's just a, a classy person. She's she's grown up from when we used to see her in Gidget, I'm telling you how old I am now, uh, when she used to be in, in Gidget on television, and she we've seen her grow and become you know a responsible woman and a wonderful actress, and so I would have to say that Sally Field is my favorite. 
I love it. That was February. I actually posted that today in our 12 Divas of Christmas, where we're revisiting every, all of our past podcasts each day during the, the month of December, allowing people, again, like Georgia from Salt Lake, you could uh, go to our DivaBetic blog and listen into all the shows. Again, I'll be posting one each day. Uh, and so you're helping me kind of commemorate the year, and this is really an honor, Lorraine. You've been a part of all the shows this year. I, I would have to say, it, I would feel foolish if I didn't tell you one more time how much I've appreciated having you on the show. And I just am in so so much awe of the way that you create these poems and 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 share them with us. I think they're so brilliant. So many of them. Um, including the Gloria Estefan one pops out, the Melba Moore one, 20 Feet from Stardom, and of course I loved Esther Williams, uh, really, I thought, took the shows to another level. So tonight, you're helping me celebrate 12 Divas of Christmas. Well, yes, you you, uh, came up with the idea that we should um, celebrate 12 Divas of Christmas, similar to the the 12 Days of Christmas. So I wrote a poem that um, talks about all of the divas that you have celebrated in 2013, and I called it the 12 Divas of the Holidays. All right. Divas strong and hip and wild, divas stand in perfect style, divas of the holidays, here is what your presence says. Here is what you represent to divas near and far. Here is why you tell us we can be more than we are. First day of the holidays, the Pointer Sisters reign, reminding us of peace and love the family maintains. The second day of holidays is Donna Summer's time. She's such a dirty bad girl, but we love her voice sublime. The third day of the holidays, we feast on beans and rice, but not too much of either thing is Gloria Estefan's advice. Melba Moore is strong and fierce in overcoming odds. The fourth day of the holidays, we give her our applause. Kate Middleton, the would-be queen, we all believe in you. The fifth day of the holidays makes fairy tales come true. The sixth day is the day we praise our bodies, small and large, as Esther Williams makes us know that we can stay in charge. And on the happy seventh day, Rihanna comes to mind. Powerful her message is, don't let yourself be confined. The eighth day of the holidays is Sally Fields alone, Mature, aware, and getting better, and still holding her own. Hoda and our Kathy Lee on day nine make us think to lift a glass to sisterhood and enjoy a friendly drink. The tenth day we will think of sex, as Brett Michaels talks about, while taking care of all our needs, removing any doubt. Determination is the word of Robin Carr, who's driven to keep a journal we honor her on holiday 11. And on the 12th of holidays, we think of Lisa Fisher, who's not afraid to back us up with a voice that's deep and richer. So ho, 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 and merry times to each and every diva. In spite of diabetes, you can be a real achiever. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> wow, Lorraine, I just thank you for celebrating that. You know, the idea behind using divas and dudes to uh, inspire each show every month is to show people who are living with affected by and at risk of diabetes that inspiration is all around them. And like you mentioned earlier, you could look at Sally Fields and watch her movies and, and see how someone's aging gracefully and just how 
wonderful her career has grown and and just shows you that age isn't nothing but a number and then you turn to rihanna who proves that at 25 you could win the icon award first time ever at american Mm -hmm. music awards and i do love what you said about kathy lee and hoda i think the sisterhood and i hope people revisit those shows and revisit this poem and and know that if you're struggling right now, especially during the holidays, because I know a lot of people get depressed, I want them to know that there's a lot of things that you could grab onto, maybe a favorite celebrity friend, so to speak, to help you stay healthy and happy throughout the holidays. That was a wonderful poem, Lorraine. Always, always an honor to have you on the show. Max, always a pleasure to talk to you. Always a pleasure to be included. Happy holidays to you. Happy New Year. I'm sure we'll speak before the year is over, but I just want to tell all the other divas, happy holidays, and it's been a pleasure, and I look forward to 2014. All right, so before you go, are you a fan of the Pointer Sisters? I am, you know, and after knowing that this show was going to be about the Pointer Sisters, I too started listening to their music, and I remember now how much I really loved them. I'm going to, I'm going to make a CD of, of all of their songs. Thank you. All right, well, get ready, because here comes one of my favorite Pointer Sister tunes. Are you ready? We're about to I'm play. ready. My next guest is a musical journalist and a liner notes essayist. Essay, oh my gosh. <laughs> he's, he's had the pleasure of interviewing hundreds of artists, producers, and songwriters and musicians, including Paul McCartney and Ruth Pointer, who gave him a personal tour of the Pointer Sisters' many platinum records and Grammy trophies. Please welcome. He's back, everybody. I loved having him on the show so much. I can't wait to have him back. Christian John Wilkane. Hi, Christian. Happy holidays, Max. How are you? I'm wonderful. You know, that song by Lorraine was so powerful. Oh, she's incredible. She's like the Pointer Sisters, is she not? Yeah, she has, she's got a flair for words and delivering them. So yeah, it was, she is. it's a great, great way to start the last show of 2013. Well, we're, uh, thank you for saying that. I'll, I'm going to pass it on to Lorraine. And it's so much fun to have you back because um, the Pointer Sisters have such an amazing career. When you think of the fact that they started out like this kind of 50, 40s vintage doo-woppy, then they kind of moved into country, which we got to talk about. But I want to. Then they finally, when Bonnie left the group, I, I read that they really wanted to change their image, and that's probably when most of us heard about the Pointer Sisters and they broke into the pop charts and really kind of solidified who they were. But there's so much talent in this group of women and the way they were able to pull off every genre of music. And I have to say, to me, Ruth Pointer was the game changer for the group because she had such a low voice. You just don't see that that much with girl groups, do you? You don't. You don't. I think that was uh, such an integral part of their sound was that she could carry the low end of all the songs. And when Bonnie was with the group, when there were four of them, they each carried different harmonies. So that, that's just a gift. That's something you can't learn. It's very innate. And I think Ruth has always been there. She was always there carrying the low end, and she was actually the last one to join the group because she hadn't really considered doing what her sisters were doing. And then right before they got their first um, 
full-length album deal, that's when she joined, just before Yes, We Can Can in 1973. What was she doing before that? I'm just curious. Like, why didn't she join? I mean, it seems like you had a voice that distinctive and different. You would have been natural to doing that. Well, when they were growing up, she was the choir director uh, at the, the church where their father was a minister. And then I, I think they sort of just took their musical talent for granted. I think it's something that everybody did, and I don't know if Ruth necessarily thought of making a career out of it. She was a key punch operator for a while, and she had two children very young. So she was raising kids in the late 60s, I believe. So she was very much at home, and I think just trying to raise the family. And But then when um, when her three sisters started getting work, I think she saw how much fun they were having. And so if one of them was sick or wasn't able to perform, she would substitute for them at places like the Fillmore West in, in San Francisco. So she really became comfortable with the idea of being out there performing, and the rest is history. Well, and, you know, let's go back in time, because when they first started, they did have this kind of like um, McGuire Sisters kind of thing going on, and I think probably the iconic performance from that time would be Cloudburst. That's when it was the yes. four sisters, and they were really doing just, you know, vintage songs, older songs, right, or an older sound yeah. to their songs. Yes, they, if you look at their first four albums on, on Blue Thumb Records, you really see that each album had a very wide array of sounds, but the, the dominant sound was this vintage 40s style that was popularized by Lambert Hendricks and Ross, which is, they, they popularized the whole idea of vocalese, where you're, you're singing, you're not really singing words. It's like scat singing. So they integrated that into songs like Cloudburst and Salt Peanuts and Duke Ellington medleys. They, they really had such a gift for that. But then they could also funk things up, too. They did Gamble and Huff songs. They did Alan Toussaint, of course, and wrote their own songs. That's the other thing that I think people forget is that fairy tale, which you mentioned earlier, was yeah. written by Anita and Bonnie. And that won them a Grammy. So they, they have a, a lot of talent as writers themselves. And they were the first black females to perform in the Grand Old Opry when they sang that song. That's right. And when they when they went to the Grand Old Opry, they were mistaken for the help. And and so that had to be rectified mighty mighty quick. They were the you know, people didn't really see black female artists there at all. So it was it was just a shock to a lot of the audience that came to the Grand Old Opry to see. They didn't know they were black. They just knew the song and they assumed that the singers were white. So it was, it was, a, they were really groundbreakers in that way. Well, I also read something Anita said that in the beginning of their career, you, it was unheard of for a man to open up for a female act. And in their span of their incredible career, at some point they had men opening up for the Pointer Sisters. So, I mean, they really, you know, going back to what you just said about the Grand Old Aubrey, they really did yeah. knock down a lot of doors uh, musically. Now, I want to go forward. So then Bonnie... Uh, leaves the group, and I read again in an interview that because they left, they didn't want to disappoint their fans. They wanted to go a totally different direction, and that's really when they began to take off more in this kind of pop rock, um, 
you know, genre of music. Do you think that was because Bonnie had such in- instant success with that disco song that the, the Pointer Sisters thought they needed to come back with something bigger and they chose to go more mainstream and kind of move away from the vintage 40s bebop kind of stuff? Well, I can, I'll try to make it as short as possible <laughs> because it's a long story. But, but yes, in, in, in essence, they, they worked with Richard Perry, who produced Barbara Streisand and Carly Simon and Ringo Starr. I mean, he was a big pop producer in the 70s, still is. And he wanted to bridge them over to more of a pop rock audience. And he, he thought that if they're going to go back out there without Bonnie, they have to totally reinvent themselves. No association to the whole vintage 40s sound or even the clothing that they would wear back with Bonnie. This, this was a new look. It was just very much a natural look of them in jeans and T-shirts. And the sound initially was really them looking at the, you know, the pop rock songwriters like uh, Michael McDonald and Kenny Loggins and a whole bunch of people, the Rolling Stones, like taking a lot of songs by mostly white male artists and covering them in their own style. And that's where we got Fire, which Bruce Springsteen wrote. Mm-hmm. And that was really their big first hit that they had without Bonnie. And it, it, went, it scored even higher on the charts than Bonnie's song did, Heaven Must Have Sent You. So I think it showed that they could survive without Bonnie. Even though they missed her, they could forge ahead and, and expand the audience that they already had. Okay, and then their career literally started picking up steam with the album. Is it Breakout, the album that really took them to a whole new level? Yeah, that was multi-platinum territory. That was big time. That was that was the age of Thriller and, and Lionel Richie and Prince and Tina Turner. That was that was the moment in, in music when crossover, when black artists really crossed over to pop in a massive way, where there was really no separation anymore between being a black artist and having a white audience. It was just all integrated. And the Pointer Sisters actually were, I think, largely responsible for that, beginning with songs like Fire, um, and then coming back with He's So Shy and Slow Hand, really sort of charting this course that peaked in 1984 and 1985 with, with Jump For My Love and I'm So Excited and, and Automatic, just Dare massive, me. massive hits. Dare Me, oh yeah, that was another classic. And this is when their hair started getting bigger and bigger, and we're going to be talking to Yvette Petty uh, a little bit later from Harlem 7, but they really went Pointer Sisters, because if you watch any of their interviews on the YouTube, you see that Ruth's hair just gets bigger and redder as she keeps going on. Like, they really, they really amped up their look by this point. Like, they really got more into that kind of rock and roll kind of thing. It seemed like June Pointer had much more of an edge on that thing, but I like how they kept the sisters very distinctively different with the colors and they and the interesting thing about this group i want to ask you about is they're one of the few groups that everyone sang lead yes they all sang lead i mean that's kind of incredible it is it is and i don't think diana ross and beyonce would let the other two sing lead (laughs) no that 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 never happened in terms of a hit i mean that that really it, I'd never thought of it that way, Max, until you pointed it out. That is very rare for a group, male or female, to have a situation where each principal member gets a lead vocal and they all get their own hits. It's really, it's pretty amazing. It is, because you would say Anita sang Slow Hand, you would say Ruth yep. sang Automatic and maybe Neutron Dance, and then you, yep. June, June seemed to be the one who sang most of the songs, so, right? Like she was usually the lead or no? 
Well, it I think see the jump and the, the bigger hits yeah, too. Yeah, I, I think initially, initially June and Anita had more of the leads than Ruth, but then when Ruth got automatic and that just exploded, and then Neutron dance, I think then she, I think then the vocals were kind of divided fairly evenly. If you got ten songs on an album, you know maybe they each got three leads, and then maybe there was one where they shared the vocal or one of them got a fourth. So I think initially June, Anita really had more of the pop sound. June had a pop sound. Ruth had a sound that worked depending on what the material was. It wasn't always, like, I, I you know, Ruth probably couldn't imagine herself singing a song like um, Slow Hands, you know, right. because that's more suited to Anita's style because it, initially that was more of a country-style song, and it just kind of got into this, really delicious and creamy uh, pop R&B fusion. But, um, but when they heard it, it was more of a country song, and Anita is more of the country writer of, of the sisters. So that's why she got to sing that one. All right, so now we're going to advance it because then I, we're, I want to hear a little bit about meeting Ruth. But, so then, okay, they had that huge high, but then someone else was actually having a high backstage. June Pointer got very involved in drugs, which we've heard allegedly uh, Bonnie was too. She was asked to leave the group by Anita and Ruth. Uh, so, uh, ultimately, Ruth's daughter took over, but poor June really went on a downward spiral. I guess she had been spiraling through, for years. They finally got her out of the group, and unfortunately, she passed away a few years ago. She actually had a stroke due to a heart attack at, when she was finally coming, um, becoming sober for like the 18th time I read. What was Ruth, how did Ruth look at this whole experience? Because I think a lot of us want to put a, a lovely bow around the Pointer Sisters, and yet there was a family dynamic there, which I mentioned earlier. Sometimes families love the holidays sometimes they don't these these sisters made beautiful harmony but i guess sometimes backstage it wasn't so uh harmonious i'd like to say well i think no matter what they loved each other but and th and that love really does survive everything but in terms of professionalism if if one of them isn't showing up <laughs> and and that can mean showing up but just not being present <laughs> to do the performance, then that's a problem because then you don't get work. The promoters won't hire you anymore because there's just... Is that what happened? Not, pardon? Is that what happened with them? Yeah. I mean, I remember Ruth telling me something about uh, performing in Boston and there was just an issue where they were never going to be invited to Boston again as long as June was in the group because of something that happened with... Uh, you know, with that particular performance, just her being difficult or whatever the issue was, it was enough to sort of say, okay, <laughs> um, we're not going to go there again. But but sadly, um, when Dune passed, they, they did come back to Boston finally, but with, um, with Ruth's daughter, Issa. Um, and actually, I should also mention that Ruth's granddaughter, Sadako, also performs in the group. She alternates with Issa. But... But yeah, like all families, there there are dynamics. Whether it's the Jacksons or whether it's the Bee Gees, all of these really famous groups, who are so well known, are they all have issues as we all do. But it's just they're magnified in a way because they're in this huge entertainment industry where if if you make a mistake, <laughs> people know about it. Um, right. It's not sort of kept behind closed doors. And there's a lot riding on the career. So if if one of them isn't being dependable, then you have to make a decision. And I think that's what happened with June is that she she just 
couldn't get out of her own way <laughs> to be there. And they, they've all had issues, you know, with, with drugs, and they've all, you know, most of them have gotten out of it. But with June, it was just, um, you know, you have to want to help yourself. Right. So what, Christian, so many people have never heard of the Pointer Sisters today's generation. What do you think, can you sum up what their legacy is for us before we let you go? Sure. Their legacy is a trailblazing female vocal group that really pushed the boundaries of what black female vocal groups could do and were known for doing. They, like you said, they could do... They could do this 40s-style jazz music. They could do country. They could do funk. And they continued to evolve over a 10-year period. If you look from 1973 to 1983, it's a completely different group. So that helped give them longevity at a time in the industry where just because you were 40 years old, you, wouldn't, you were not put out to pasture. So I think they, they showed that you, they could ride this wave of success even at a, at a point in their lives where the industry now, I think, you know, if you're over 30, <laughs> that's seen as being kind of, you know, past your prime, but they were in their prime and they're still in their prime. I mean, they're still out there performing. And I love that. Well, guess what? Yeah, we've, got a, we've got a treat for you because we're going to play one of their vintage 40 songs for you and for Great. all the listeners tonight. And again, thanks for being on the show. It was wonderful to talk about the Pointer Sisters with you and share your oh. insights. Oh, my pleasure, man. Now, how about adding the Pointer Sisters CD to your favorite things list this year? That would make a great stocking stuffer. I bet my next guest would like it. She's a graduate of New York Fashion Institute of Technology with a degree in textiles and fashion marketing. She's worked in many areas of the fashion industry, and now she owns the fabulous Harlem's Heaven. Up in Harlem, please welcome Yvetta Petty. Hello, Yvetta. Hello, Max. Thanks for being on the show. I've just been enjoying uh, listening to all the great things about the Pointer Sisters. I so love their music. And even more than that, I love their style. And they were hat divas. They really were, right? Yes, they were. Uh, Even on the debut album cover, three out of four of them were all wearing hats. Now, what I think is interesting is they weren't exactly the most beautiful women, and yet they did have this very kind of outrageous, fun style, which really to me shows anyone that with the right clothes, the right sense of style, a certain amount of confidence, you could do it, you know? So I want you to help us kind of steal the Pointer Sisters look for the holidays. Uh, what, What are some of your suggestions? Well... The Pointer Sisters were very much into retro looks, and that's sort of uh, my favorite thing as far as how I design my hat collection. And right now, it's all about the cloche. we got to have that roaring 20s cloche for our look this winter. Uh, I know it's all about Boardwalk Empire and, and Bonnie and Clyde. There's a big buzz about the fashion, but the hats are the thing to complete your outfit. You have got to finish your look with a funky little fedora 
a pillbox with a veil or a fascinator. And something interesting about the pointer sisters is they wore fascinators years ago. There's all these great-looking photos of them with little feathers in their hair and, and flowers, and they really, really put together great headpieces. What is, but what, I'm, I'm kind of confused, like what is a fascinator? What is the shape of that? Well, a fascinator is really any small headpiece, a mini, mini headpiece. It can be mounted on a comb, it can be mounted on a headband, or it could be a little miniature hat. But that's really what a fascinator is. And even though they've become very popular now, they've been around so very long. In, in old black and white films, every, everybody's wearing some cute little accent on the side of her head. Those were fascinators. So you could still and have that, that beautiful weave and that whole polished thing, and you just add the fascinator to it to kind of finish off the whole look. Exactly. It could be even just a little bit of veiling with a flower mounted on a comb and just mm -hmm. added to the side of your fabulous hairdo. And it's really a great headpiece for someone who is really not used to wearing hats. It's a good way to start to give yourself the look of, you know, a finished look with a headpiece, and then you graduate to, to, to add some bigger hats to your collection. But it's just a fabulous thing to wear for the holidays, for holiday parties and gatherings. It's a great look. Now, okay, now I want to ask you, like, how we go from zero to Ruth Pointer. Um, if you've never bought a hat before, I know a lot of people are, want to know, like, do you have to match your hat to the rest of your outfit? So, you know, when I think of the Pointer Sisters, I think of neon colors. I think of Anita, uh, a Ruth in orange. I think of Anita in green. And I think of June in, in like, you know, sky blue or, you know, really electric turquoise. I'm wondering, like, if you were to go that crazy and buy a hat in those colors, which I think would be amazing, do you have to go head to toe in it? Or how do you use color in hats to kind of work with your outfit? Well, I like to make the hat the focal point. I mean, the dress or pantsuit or whatever your outfit is, it could be black or it could be a basic color. And you could get the hat in a pink or, or, or a beautiful teal or turquoise and let the hat pop. Let the hat be the focal point. And, and you can have on all black and a gorgeous orange hat. Uh, that's the way to go. Can you wear feathers if you're wearing fur? I mean, can you re can you mix your your? Uh... Yes, you can mix textures. You can mix feathers and fur. You can have a fur collar and a little small feather fascinator, or you can have a pillbox that has a feather accent to it and wear it along with a tailored suit with a little fur boa. I am totally into anything that's 1920s or 1940s. Retro is the way to go. It was a very elegant time, and I'm so, so happy that the look is back. So you're really saying like what Aretha Franklin wore to the inauguration a couple of years ago is out, and now we're going smaller, tighter to the head for 2014? Um, we are going smaller. Um, we'll save the big wide brims for when we go to our horse racing events. That time okay. will come this summer. But uh, right now it's all about a small, petite finishing touch. Um, the hat that Aretha wore to the inauguration was, was sort of a modified pillbox, but it had a very large butterfly bow. 
and we're kind of moving away from from that look and and getting a little bit more polished this season. And we should tell everyone, have to make a wonderful gift. So what what do you think someone should put on their list this year and then tell us where we could find out more about Harlem's Heaven? Well, everybody should start out with a basic fedora. I, I, would, I tell everybody, start out with, with a black fedora and, and interchange the feather. Add a brooch for a beautiful accent. I'm sure there's tons of brooches in your jewelry box. And, you know, use brooches on your hats to give them, a, a, you know, a little distinctive look. Uh, my hat shop is up in Harlem. It's called Harlem's Heaven. I've been there for over 20 years. And I uh, have wonderful hats on my website as well, harlemsheaven.com. And if you don't see it, I would be happy to make it for you. I love doing custom work. And what I love is every year you and I do the Easter parades. I'm going to look forward to seeing you in New York in April. But what do you love the Pointer Sisters? I absolutely love the Pointer Sisters, and I I was just thinking about, there are so many great songs that I love, and I was trying to pick out what my favorite one is. It's probably Slow Hand. Uh, Oh, I love Slow Hand, too. Well, thanks for being a part of the show, Yvette, and check out Harlem's Heaven. We'll post it on our website. Thanks a lot for being in the show tonight. Thank you for having me. Happy holidays. All right, straight ahead, it's time to meet the Charlie's Angels of Outreach. Ooh la la. That's right, they're three of the smartest, sexiest uh, diabetes educators from around the country. Please welcome Patricia Addy Gentle from Atlanta, Georgia. Hello, Patricia. Hello, Max. Glad to be with you tonight. All right, and how about, let's hear it for Neva White from Philadelphia, Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. Hi, Neva. Hey, Max. How are you today? I'm great. And Kathy Gold joining us from Washington, D.C. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Max, and happy holidays. Happy holidays. And here's a round of applause. I didn't mean to do that, but if you guys want to start singing, you can. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, there's three Pointer Sisters and there's three educators. How perfect is that, ladies? They're, you're the quiet pointer sisters. There were two brothers <laughs> in the group, by the way. All right, Neva White, I want to I want to ask you a question before we get into our hot, hot, hot topic tonight. Um, favorite things? I know there's something coming up at the Diva Better Club in Philadelphia next week. What is it? Yes, this is our annual favorite things events where we ask various educators who have been with us through the year to identify one of their favorite things for diabetes self-management. And we also try as much as possible to give our participants um, some really nice gifts. So we're excited. We just got finished our main event, Victory Over Diabetes, and that was terrific. So we're doing real good in Philly. We are, and I'm looking forward to that and sharing. I love when people share the things that work well for them. Like Lorraine said earlier tonight, she loves that app. So if you want to be a part of the show, guess what, everybody? Yes, you can, can. I had to play that song. I'm so into the Pointer Sisters. All right, Angels, are you ready for your hot topic tonight? Yep. We are. Yeah, we are ready. All right, because you know what? Uh, Pointer Sisters made music a family affair, but diabetes is often called a family disease because it affects more than 
more than the person who's diagnosed. The whole family may have to make changes in their diet because not many, many people are willing or can afford to cook two different meals every day. As families attend patient, uh, patients' ongoing care, their income may be strained and they, as they pay for more co-pays and doctor visits and blood testing supplies and healthy foods and other expenses like a gym membership. Plus, a lot of times family members don't want to exercise together, and that's one of the best things you could do. There's always got to be someone like me in your family who wants to get behind you. I love to do a little chair exercise with my family, and uh, I, I do believe that you could use everyday, outfit, um, everyday items to make you stay happy and healthy. And adjusting to managing your diabetes can be hard on the whole family. So the best way to involve your family and friends is our hot topic tonight. We're going to be talking about how do you involve your family in your diabetes self-care, and we're starting with Kathy Gold. You know, um, what should families know about nighttime for people living with diabetes? I know that's a scary time for people when they put their children to bed, first time with type 1 diabetes, or maybe they're putting to bed their grandparents are staying over, or their adult parents are staying over for the first time. What should families know about that? Well, I think what happens sometimes is that, you know, you change the way you eat or you adjust your medicine and you, you're at risk of having a low blood sugar in the middle of the night. And that's a pretty scary thing. Um, you know, uh, they worry about a child having a seizure or, um, you know, a parent having uh, a fall or something when they get a little wake up and they're disoriented and confused because their blood sugar is so low. So it's kind of important to make sure that people test their blood sugar before they go to bed. Um, and make sure. The other thing that can contribute to that is alcohol. Uh, you know, if you have a drink um, in the evening, you know, like we tend to do more at the holidays, that, that could put you more at risk for a low blood sugar. So making sure that you eat, um, you know, when when you do have that drink is important. So people should really, who, members of the family should really do some research about what are normal range blood sugars and do a little bit of investigating so they're prepared as well because, it's one thing to check your blood sugar. It's another thing if, that, if the person next to you has no idea what that number means, correct? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. When, what are some guidelines you could give people listening right now who might have a family member living with diabetes but haven't really taken the next step, step to kind of empower or educate themselves about it? Well, I think it's important to educate um, themselves, learning what the normal should be. For instance, after a meal, your blood sugar should be between 140 and 160. At bedtime, they say, you know, you want it about 180. Um, if it's lower than that and people are on, on insulin or something like that, they might, might need to make sure that they're going to take a snack. I think just being um, well-versed about what the medicines are that somebody's taking and what the side effects of those medicines can be. Because when a person has a low blood sugar, a family member might not understand that that's what's going on because the person might get angry, it may the pay, it may get disoriented, and, and they may be very, not even realize that if they gave them a little sugar, this this could totally be taken care of. All right, and Neva, you know, one of the wonderful things about the Diva Better Club that we've been seeing happening again and again and even more recently is family members bringing, uh, I mean, people with diabetes bringing family members to our meetings. And I know one way that could be helpful is if you were to bring a family member to one of your upcoming doctor's appointments. What would you tell someone, what should a family member know about going to someone's appointment who has diabetes and how can they help? Well, I think the first thing, Max, is to figure out what your role is and have a little conversation before you even get to the doctor's appointment. Do I want you just to come with me and stay in the waiting room, or do I actually want you to be in the room when I'm actually seeing my physician 
if that is the case, the family member could serve as really the eyes and the ears and writing things down and really soaking up the information that the doctor is sharing. Because many times when we are seeing the doctor, you know, we may be preoccupied with the issues and we don't always hear everything or we don't always understand so sometimes if there's two people listening, there's an opportunity to get more information. However, the family member has to understand their role and understand the, where the, what the patient wants, uh, you know, where the patient wants them to be because sometimes people tend to maybe ask questions or take over the appointment, and that's not really what you want. The other thing is uh, sometimes when the family comes, that's the support for you. You feel comfortable knowing that your family member is there and you can feel a little bit more empowered. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a family member. It could be a good friend, somebody that you have, somebody that you trust. All right. Well, you know, I want to ask you another question about this and families get involved. Sometimes family members go into kind of denial and ignore someone's diabetes, and then other times they might overreact and turn into the diabetes police. So what do you do if you're dealing with either type of those extremes in a family member? What would you recommend? Well, I think either extreme would probably be a good case to take that person with you because then the physician can explain some things. Also, if you could take that person to a diabetes self-management class or a support group meeting, if you could take them somewhere where they could be around other people living with diabetes or even talk to other family members or friends who have diabetes and share some of their experiences because a lot of times family members think they're doing the right thing when in fact, um, you know, they they could be being a little bit too over the top. So as much as you can get them involved and allow them to maybe have a role, maybe there's something that you could share. You could have a common goal that you could share. If there's something that both of you want to accomplish and achieve as it relates to your health, maybe that could be the focus point instead of uh, some other thing. Well, I also think it'd be a little selfish because, you know, I have a family history of diabetes. I, I educate myself for myself so I can, I can delay or prevent the idea of developing diabetes in my lifetime. So, I mean, going to these meetings just isn't doing, you know, sitting there bored. You're actually learning about your own health and, and becoming more proactive, I think. I know that's what's happened for me personally as a family member of someone living with uh, type 1 diabetes, and I have a huge family history of type 2 diabetes in my family as well. So, Patricia, you know, there, people are going to be doing a lot of driving this holiday season, and, I, you know, a lot of times the person with, drive, with diabetes is the one behind the wheel. I'm wondering what you would tell family members around driving and diabetes. Well, you know, if that person with diabetes chooses to do the driving and is not driving alone, then the person who rides in the car should definitely be alert for any signs or symptoms of a high or a low blood sugar. Um, be really sensitive and, and um, understand that rest periods are needed along the way and perhaps depending on the distance, to make sure that there are snacks uh, provided, nutritious snacks, the kinds of things that will be appropriate for bringing up blood sugar. Um, you know, the um, glucose tablets should be traveling with the person. Um, also, um, a Medi Alert bracelet or pendant or whatever, especially if that person is alone. And, of course, uh, the Pointer Sisters had a song, We Are Family. And so, hopefully Sister Sledge somebody... had a song, We Are Family. 
What's that? Oh, that's right, Sister Smith. <laughs> <laughs> You're Bonnie Pointer tonight, Patricia. You're not even in the car. Oh, my You're goodness. But, but uh, in, still, with that in mind, being a good family member, you would uh, check with that person and hopefully keep tabs and make sure that that person is, um, you know, traveling safely and uh, has heard from someone has heard from the person, especially if the person is traveling alone. All right. Well, that's great advice and, and a bad reference to music, right? but we'll give you a round of applause. <laughs> it's time to meet another diva. There were four pointer sisters at one time. There's going to be four in a minute. Hello, diva. Oh, hello, diva. It's time to pass the boa and show us your new attitude. All right, I've had the pleasure of meeting this wonderful diva who's a wife and a mother from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. She's joining our show for the very first time. Please welcome Lindsay. Hi, Lindsay. Hey, Max. How are you? I'm great. And, you know, I wanted to have you on the show so badly because... You got on a plane from Louisiana and flew all the way up to Philadelphia to be part of our Divabetic Victory Over Your Diabetes event on November 16th, and I wanted you to tell everyone listening what that experience was like for you. Oh, it was so much fun. I, I brought a girlfriend, and we came up, and actually I did that, um, that same sort of workshop uh, several years ago in D.C., so I, um, I was looking forward to doing it again, and so we just made a trip um, and made a weekend out of it. It was very enjoyable. And you got your pictures drawn, right? You had caricatures done, the two of you? We had caricatures done, which was really cool. That was great. Um, We got to talk with some gentlemen about some new medications that might be beneficial for us as as type 1 diabetics. So I'm excited about that, that prospect. And And now... uh, Some other things. Yeah, and and so now your diagnosis is really interesting because you were in a family way when you were diagnosed, correct? Yes, I was, um, it was a little, I think it was a little unusual. Um, I was pregnant, and um, during pregnancy, generally, they check you at a certain number of weeks, and I'm not really clear on how far along that is, but I had, I know that I had not yet reached that place that number of weeks and I started um, having some problems some symptoms like for instance I couldn't see the TV and um, I was really thirsty and so I reported that to my physician and um, of course at the time I had no idea that that was a, a sign of diabetes and so they checked my sugar and it was very highly elevated so um, without having any history whatsoever of diabetes, it was a little, you know, shocking. But at that time, they, they assumed, I guess, that it was um, a gestational diabetes. So they treated me as such, and um, I went on through with the, the pregnancy, and everything turned out okay with the baby. Did they put you on yeah. insulin while you were pregnant? Initially, they, they didn't. They wanted to, um, they, they didn't think that I was going to need it because a lot of times with gestational diabetes, you don't require insulin. Pregnant women don't require insulin. Um, so they tried a diet. That didn't do anything. Um, 
they tried uh, some sort of pills, I guess it was metformin, that was not effective. And eventually they did start me on insulin. So, yes, finally they started me on insulin. And then the baby was born, and my doctor said, well, you're fine. You don't need to take your insulin anymore. You don't need to check your sugar. And so I said, yay, you know, I can have pancakes. And so I ate the pancakes. You know, my baby was a day old, and um, within, you know, I don't know, an hour, I started just feeling really sick and dizzy, and my head was just spinning, and I checked my sugar, and it was over 300. Wow. So, you know, yeah. And um, eventually, within the next couple of weeks, I was, they did, I saw an endocrinologist, and they did a antibody test of some sort, and they were able to determine that I did indeed have type 1 diabetes, which was uncovered um, by pregnancy. So it was a little bit of unusual way, I think, but it does happen. And here I am. <laughs> well, you know, it's so, not, I mean, you know, like I said to you, it's not that unusual, which I found out through my history of working in DivaBetic, and I'm bringing on another woman who was pregnant and found out she was with, uh, living with diabetes as well. Leslie, are you there? Leslie? I know she was listening in. I was going to bring in Leslie, who's been on the show before. We'll give her a second to tune in. How was it juggling early motherhood with diabetes? That, might, that had to be a little bit overwhelming, I would think. It was a little bit tricky. Um, you know, I was, concern, I was a little concerned about, you know, certain things like nursing and how is this going to affect my baby if my sugars are elevated. And it was all very confusing in, in the initial days because, you know, it happened so quickly, and I was very highly uneducated. Um, but, it, you know, eventually I just had to kind of push for help, and, and I got it. And this was a good eight years ago, so um, I've, I guess a lot has changed, and I was able to get on the insulin pump, and, and that helped me a lot. But in those initial days, it, it was a little tricky. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's gotten better. What has been one of the easiest things for you to deal with that you thought initially you would never get the hang of? Um, Carb counting. Uh, That was definitely, carb counting was a challenge for me in the the beginning because I just didn't, I didn't understand how I could possibly figure out how many carbs is in just anything that I wanted, just anything I wanted to eat, you know. Um, But that's, that's also gotten easier. All right. Well, you know, I love to play games at Divabetic, and so I thought tonight it would be kind of fun with um, celebrating the Pointer Sisters and the fact that you came to Divabetic Victory Over Diabetes in Philadelphia if we played a game. So if, with the help of the Pointer Sisters, I thought we'd get ready to play some games. Are you ready? I'm ready.
I love that video. If you haven't seen that video, Lindsay, go to Dare Me immediately on YouTube after the show. All right, here's what we're going to play. We're going to play my famous diabetes numerology game tonight. I'm going to read aloud a random blood sugar value along with a related situation. Then, Lindsay, I'm going to ask you to tell us how you would deal with this situation. And then next, the Charlie's Angels of Outreach will discuss your solution and share some tips. Remember, if you're playing along with us tonight, please keep in mind that one solution doesn't work for everyone. Check with your doctor to find out what your specific game plan should be and visit divabetic.org for free diabetes numerology game downloads. All right, your diabetes numerology game is loosely based on the holiday classic, The Miracle on 34th Street. Your numerology situation. You're the special events director for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. When you discover the actor playing Santa is too drunk to play Santa, so you have no choice but to try to persuade Mr. Divabetic to take his place. Your diabetes numerology blood sugar value is 45. What would you do? Mm. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> um, I would immediately drink some orange juice and recheck in 15 minutes. Probably uh, at least eight ounces. Do you carry orange juice in your bag? Actually, I do. And you know what? I have to go through, when I go, when I fly, I have to go through security, and um, they they let me take it. All right, Patricia, how'd she do? She did well. Uh, something that might be a little better to transport would be glucose tablets or, or glucose gel. But, yes, do have 15 grams of carbs and recheck in 15 minutes. So she did a good job. You know, um, a lot of people get cold standing in line for that parade, though, Patricia, with, uh, you know, frostbite and everything. What are some of the tips around just cold and and diabetes? Cold weather, excuse me, is what I meant to say. Well, um, most definitely wear something that will keep you warm, have extra, um, if you're going to be on the outside, of course, layers. Um, Also, you want to be particularly careful because when there is diabetic neuropathy, you may not sense that you are cold. So you may not feel that the, um, the temperature is as low as it might be. And for that reason, there may be complications from frostbite or other kinds of complications with circulation. So be sure to use those extra layers of, you know, gloves, uh, hoodies, or scarves whatever it takes to keep you warm. All right, and Kathy Gold, I know orange juice could freeze, but I'm curious, like, if Lindsay just happened to be carrying insulin to the parade, because now it's down in the low 30s in New York City, does insulin freeze? It can. Um, you get little particles in it. It, it goes out of solution, um, and you get little white speckles in it, so it's not a clear solution anymore. So you want to be very careful that you keep it next to your body um, so you stay warm, that you don't, you don't let it get too cold. Uh, most of the insulins today we actually store at room temperature. So you definitely don't want to leave it in the car. Um, you know, some people travel with it and don't like to carry it with them, but you don't want to leave it in the car, even for a short period of time when it's really, really cold, because you don't want it to freeze, because then it's not going to work for you. What about your insulin pen? Same thing, same thing, the same, because that's even a smaller volume, so you have to be very, very careful. So the nice thing about the pen is you can kind of stick it in your pocket inside, inside your clothes, um, so you can keep it close to your body and it's not going to get too cold. 
All right, in Neva, holidays, parades, looking for Santa. There's a drunk one, and the happy healthcare host just happens to be standing by. That's a lot of stress and anxiety for Lindsay. What do you, what, how does that affect her diabetes? Well, we know that stress and anxiety can actually increase your, your blood sugar. It can also uh, get you off of your routine. So a lot of times with stress and anxiety, you can get off your routine, and that can really uh, cause you to have some pattern shifts in your blood in your blood sugar that maybe you weren't even thinking about. So checking your blood sugar uh, during those times is important to know where you are. And, you know, that's a good tip, too, that sometimes it's good to be stuck in a rut a little bit if you're newly diagnosed with diabetes, right, and, and have, a, have a solid routine. Exactly. And so, like, someone who's, go, you know, like Lindsay mentioned, getting, learning more about carb counting, would you recommend to someone who's newly diagnosed, Neva, that they should, you know, they should try to get a, a kind of a routine with their food, when they're eating, the times they're eating, the kind of foods they're having, so they could begin to understand how their blood sugars are affected by foods they're eating? Exactly. I mean, that's the whole premise of pattern management, getting yourself in a habit so that you can be proactive and not always reactive, you know, making sure that you have food, you've prepared for the different things that are coming up. Uh, Lindsay talked about the fact that she carries something with her. That's important. People have to, and uh, Patricia was also talking about carrying healthy snacks. So really kind of thinking ahead and figuring out what you need, what you need to have with you if you're traveling, if you're going different places. So establishing that routine is, is really critical. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for participating. Guess what, Lindsay, for playing our diabetes numerology game tonight and helping us raise awareness in a fun new way, we've got a surprise. Well, the, the first surprise is I will definitely play Santa for you in the Macy's Day Parade. <laughs> <laughs> no question asked. I would love that's like a roll of a lifetime. Okay, the second one is you're going to get a bunch of free gifts from us, including the new Naturals gift basket filled with diabetic-safe, low-glycemic, tooth-friendly sweeteners, a Cabot cheese gift basket, a sample of GlucoLift, a natural glucose uh, natural glucose tablets with no artificial colors or flavors, and and they're gluten free. And three boxes of Salise, a soft lozenge that offers long-lasting dry mouth relief. To one, um, while other dry mouth products on the market last only for a few minutes. Guess what? Salise can offer relief for over an hour by utilizing Nirvana's uh, patent sure, sure drug delivery technology. Salise is available for $5.99 in peppermint, mint, wintergreen and in a sensitive formulation for people who have dry mouth sensitivity, you could get Salise at ShopRite or visit their website at um, Nervolink.com. Now, what did you think of all those prizes? Wow, thank you so much. That is very sweet. And guess what? You're not the only diva who, had, who discovered she had diabetes when she was pregnant. I wanted you to meet Leslie, who's part of the Divabetic community from the very beginning. Leslie, are you here? Yes, I am. And what's your Hi, story Leslie. of living with diabetes? Hi. Excuse me? What's your story of living? How were you diagnosed with diabetes? <clears throat> Actually, uh, my diabetes wasn't discovered till a year 
oh, I wasn't diagnosed until a year and a half after my 12-pound, 9-ounce baby was born. <laughs> and Did how that long ago in? was that? Uh, 28 years ago. And you were diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, correct? Yes, I was. And I had and been tested when I was 18 for diabetes and also with my first pregnancy. But even with all the tests, nothing ever came up. Hmm. And so what was early motherhood like for you with managing your diabetes? It was very hard, to be honest. I, I did not take good care of myself. Diabetes was very, very hard for me to manage because I knew nothing. And it wasn't until I got in the study um, DCCT um, at Einstein that I got the team that I needed to help me understand what diabetes was and that I needed to take better care of myself. My first A1C was uh, 14. Wow. Yeah. And then and you also chose to go on the pump too, correct? Oh, yeah. I couldn't take the long-acting insulin anymore in the two shots a day. It was horrible. So I, once I went on the pump, I never looked back. And is that one of your favorite things? With the pump? Yeah. No, my, said that's... my favorite thing now is my Dexcom CGM. Oh, oh. Yeah. And what does that do? What it does, um, when it's working properly, it gives me like a road map of what my blood sugar is, if it's going up and down, if I'm steady. It is not 100% accurate, but it's better than not having it. All right. Well, now I want my listeners to take out a pen and a piece of paper because we're about to reveal our favorite things list for 2013. With the help of the Pointer Sisters, I want to play this song. that Lorraine Brooks is jumping for joy over her My Sugar app, and now Leslie is jumping for joy over her Dexacom continuous glucose monitor. I think Yvette Petty was jumping for joy with her Fascinator hat. I'm curious to know what the angels are jumping for. Kathy Gold, what's one of your favorite things for uh, the holiday season for someone living with diabetes to stay happy and healthy? My favorite thing is this divided plate that I use. Um, it's microwavable. It has a lid on it. Um, you can put the food in it, prepare it in the right proportions, um, and then microwave it and then store it so you can carry things with it. You can keep it in the freezer. So things are so you've always got the right proportions, and it just kind of helps you stay on track. All right. It's- and Patricia, Addie, Gentle, what, Gentle, what do you like? What's one of your favorite things? Well, I am still into families, Max, and my favorite thing is family gatherings. I grew up an only child, and I love to be around family. And as long as we can have healthy interactions and good conversation and um, feeding each other in a healthy way, I think that's a wonderful place to be. So it doesn't matter if their last name is Sledge or Pointer, they're still part of the family for you? (laughs) I guess you could say that. (laughs) All right, and Neva White, what's one of your favorite things? Well, my favorite thing is still my aromatherapy, just getting a little small little spray bottle 
putting a little lavender oil and water and taking a shower and just spraying it. When the shower gets nice and steamy, just spraying that lavender oil and it turns your whole bathroom into an aromatherapy experience. All right, I want to bring in our final guest, Laura. Uh, Laura Laria is here, and she's going to share her five favorite things before she tells us about Divey's TLC. Laura, what's one of your favorite things? Happy and healthy holiday wishes, everybody. Um, for gifts, I, I have brought flavored oil, like olive oil, flavored with herbs, and they're really, they're, there are no carbs in it, and it's a great tool for either dressing or people to cook with. So I like to share the healthy stuff with family and friends, with or without diabetes. I love it. And if you want to see my whole list of my favorite things, go to our website or go to YouTube and check out Mr. Divabag's Favorite Things for 2013. I will tell you all one thing that's not on my list this year that has definitely been one of my favorite things. I was working the snare drum with Kathy Sledge. Um, I say a gym membership. I love I love when uh, exercise is social. I think it's such a big deal. I think if anyone is having a hard time being motivated to get out of bed or, or work out after work, I think joining a group fitness class, uh, I take shred, I take burn, but there's a lot of total body conditioning classes as well as like kickboxing you could join. I think just making an hour to do that, knowing there's a beginning and end to it, is a safe, easy way to get involved um, with exercise and getting more fitness into your day. Plus, you meet a lot of great people who are also trying to stay fit and healthy, and that always motivates me. So I definitely think if you haven't joined a gym and you're terrified about it, you could always email me at mrdivabix uh, at gmail.com, and I'll share some tips for that. But I just think going to the gym is a great way to stay happy and healthy in the new year, and I think it's, it's well worth it. That money you spend each month is really an investment in your health, and, and I definitely feel better every time I do a workout. I just put another one in the books. So, Lindsay, what was one of your favorite things? Gosh, that, you know, I've been thinking about that since we started this, uh, this event here. Um, I guess you know, my insulin pump is really, really like my lifeline, and I love it. Well, I love it. Now, that's an awesome favorite thing and a perfect lead-in to, to our guest, Laura. You know, you're taking over for my mom this month, so I want to play never. a little bit. Never. She'd never take over for your mom. Mama Rosemary is on vacation, everybody. She's in Florida enjoying the hot weather, wanted to escape the north. So she's down there with uh, visiting friends and relatives for the holiday season and with her family like Patricia. And so we asked Laura to step in for my mom and share a tender, loving self-care advice to keep you happy and healthy with our diabetes TLC. So Laura, what would you like to share tonight? Well, I believe knowledge is power. And when it comes to any... Uh, type of diabetes, the importance of knowing your numbers, especially during the holidays, is crucial to enjoying it healthy with health and happiness. With all the decadent foods and treats tempting us, all people with diabetes should be more conscious of calories, carbs, and fats, and especially portion control. Educate yourself on carb counting so you don't have to neglect yourself. 
However, knowing how foods affect your blood sugars is also an important tool. I happen to like using my hands to estimate and measure food portions such as your um, your index finger can be from tip to base. You can estimate about an ounce of cheese. You can also you can estimate a teaspoon using the tip of your index finger to the knuckle. And uh, you, testing about six or seven times a day, as I usually do, helps me gauge how the food is affecting me. Dancing, now we're talking about the Pointer Sisters. I'm so excited, my favorite song. I test before and after any kind of activity, especially dancing at a gathering, because it is an activity, and it may drop your blood sugar. So I am a big advocate on testing as many times. Now, how long have you been living with diabetes, Laura? 37 years and counting. So you've seen a lot of changes in care. I'm just curious, when you go somewhere public like a Pointer Sisters concert, are you ever uncomfortable um, checking yourself in public, or where do you choose to do it? Because I know that's a little bit scary for people to think about going public with their diabetes. Okay, well, when I saw the Pointer Sisters at the Paradise Garage in the 80s, um, testing was not as easy because those meters you had to wipe close the door, a little uh, contraption that they had. Um, so testing now is a lot easier, and especially with the Dexcom, you know, keeping trends. So back then, I would go to the bathroom. I had my syringes and a vial, insulin vial. I've been on the pump 18 years. That's made a huge difference in my control. All right. Well, that was great advice, and guess what? Everybody, I've got all my divas on because we're going to take a minute and go through the roll call and say happy holidays to everyone, and we're going to end the show a little bit early, and I want to thank everyone for being a part of the show. Remember, check us out at Divabetic Facebook fan or group pages. Go to Mr. Divabetic at Twitter, and definitely check out our Divabetic YouTube channel. And if you haven't seen any of our events or listings, go to divabetic.org. This show, as well as all the other podcasts we've done throughout the year, are available on demand at any time for free. So Lorraine Brooks, what would you like to say to everyone listening tonight for the holidays? I would like to say happy and healthy New Year and happy holidays to everyone. And remember that you can be fine if you take everybody's tips and take everybody's advice and just take care of yourself. So we can do this again next December. All right, Yvetta Petty from Harlem's Heaven. Yes, I just want to say happy holidays and uh, keep wearing hats. <laughs> Leslie Cruz from New York City. I just want to say happy holidays. And, Yvetta, I still use the picture where I was wearing the pink hat that you let me borrow for a modeling shoot on my Gmail. Oh, you were gorgeous in that hat. Thank you, darling, and I love it. (laughs) Happy holidays, everybody, and Tess, don't guess. I love it. And, Lindsay from Baton Rouge, what would your greeting like to be? Yes, um, thank you so much for having me, and Merry Christmas to everyone, and Happy New Year. All right, Kathy Gold from Washington, D.C. I want to wish everyone a happy holiday, and I hope you all enjoy your time with your families, and remember, take care of yourself. Oh, that's nice. Uh, Neva White from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I just want to say, let's not forget the reason for the season. And let's just uh, find a way just to be together, share 
just uh, experiences, new traditions, forget about all that spending, gifts, and all that stuff, and just think about just being together, loving each other, and just experiencing life. And my favorite guest from 2013, Patricia Addy Gentle, always wonderful to partner with you in outreach for yet another year. It's been such a pleasure to work with you. What would you like your holiday greeting to be? Thank you so much, Max. It's truly my pleasure to have worked and have the opportunity to continue to work with you for such a long time, and it has really impacted the way that I look at diabetes and its management. But uh, my wish for the holiday season is that we will spend time with family, loving each other, and expressing that love. Remember, every diva needs an entourage, and we want to uh, be able to be a part of that love that they're spreading, and hopefully the family dynamics will grow and everybody will learn more and become more aware of diabetes. Just spread the love. All right. Well, I want to remind everyone, Every Diva has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and stay healthy together. My tip is that the change starts with you. We're going to be coming into a new year. It could be, you could be the first one to spark change throughout your entire family by adopting a healthy habit. So whether it's taking a walk uh, at your lunch break or coffee break, or it's choosing to have a salad instead of french fries on Fridays, or it's adding a little bit more fiber into your diet, I say you could start the change today or join a uh, group fitness class. Guess what? I might be there with you. Wouldn't that be fun? I want to thank all my guests for being a part of the show tonight. I want to thank you for listening, and, and Happy New Year. Have a healthy holiday season. Thanks, everybody. Bye, Max. Bye, Max. Bye. Oh!